You are now listening to the Bayshore Community Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect to God, connect to people, and to serve the community. Thank you for joining us today and wherever you are listening. We hope that this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you. Our prayer is that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see you. And uh, hey, I wanted to take a minute and say uh, congratulations to the graduates. If you graduate from college or high school, would you stand up? I mean, we got some college grads here. There's a college graduate over here from UD. Anybody else graduate from high school or, high or college? Congratulations. Fenwick Island, same thing. Uh, congratulations to all our graduates, and that's a big deal, graduating from school. And uh, today, as Jeremy mentioned, is a big day. We're going to be having baptisms at the end of the service. And if you came today and you didn't prepare to get baptized, would like to get baptized, um, we've got baptism kits in the uh, chapel. And at the end of the service, you can go back there and uh, join in today as people are celebrating their faith going public. And uh, so, anyhow, we're going to be doing that today. So, uh, we're in our series uh, called, uh, called uh, Survivor, and this is out of 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians, and I want us to look at uh, one section here, actually two sections of Scripture, and 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 8 through 10, and then we're going to look at uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 13 through 18, and look at these verses, and that will prepare us as we get ready for baptism. This, this study is about these new Christians that were barely a year old in their faith and they had all these questions and they didn't know, you know how things worked and so Paul is helping them. So it's very helpful to us to, to read that. So today we're going to be looking at one of the big things, a big question they had. And the Thessalonians had a lot of questions about the faith. They had a lot of questions about how certain things fit together. Evidently, when Paul was with them, he talked to them about the second coming of Jesus, the second coming of Jesus. And one of the things that's really uh, 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians is famous for, is famous for the second coming of Christ. And that's what's found in, in this book. This may have been, may have been the first book in the New Testament written. You know, the, the, the epistles of Paul were written before the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And this may have been the very first uh, inspired scripture in the New Testament written, and it talks about the second coming of Christ. So that's an interesting thing. So let me read to you some verses that you may have heard. I know you've heard chapter 4, where we're going to read chapter 1, the end of chapter 1. Here's how Paul ends chapter 1. He says, The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turn from God, turn from idols to serve the living and true God. And, verse 10, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath. So, verse 10, again, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath. And then uh, chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, very famous passage of Scripture. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who fall fallen asleep in him. That's a euphemism for death. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left to the coming of the Lord, 
will certainly not precede those who fall asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and with a voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive will be left and are left, will be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will all be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So today we want to look at this, this uh, subject of the second coming of Christ. Talk about that. Now, why, why would we talk about this? Why is it important to talk about it? Well, one of the reasons we would want to talk about this is because, I'm not sure if you're aware or not, but this subject, the second coming of Christ, is a huge subject in the Bible. It's really, really big. When I was a kid growing up, uh, in high school in the 70s, the second coming of Christ was front and center. Everybody was really, really talking about it. Every revival we had, every preacher that came through preached on the second coming of Christ. Some of them had gigantic charts all laid out how all this was going to work. And so I grew up as a kid under the shadow of thinking about the second coming of the Lord. So there's different times when this is extremely popular in American culture. In the 70s, Vietnam War is going on. Uh, there's rioting in the streets. There's, there's uh, you know, inflation. Lots of things are happening. And people, you know, are really tuned in to the second coming of Christ. And that's when the Jesus movement started and all of that. And then what happened is there was a waning in the interest in this, where people, like, weren't so interested in it anymore. And it kind of went off the scene, and I've noticed that during COVID, when COVID came back and all the stuff that's been happening in our country with the racism and all that, there's a renewed interest in the second coming of Christ because of how things are. Things don't always seem to be going so well. So there's a lot of scriptures to talk about it. Let me give you a, you know, a little quote here by George Sweeting. George Sweeting said, one in every 30 New Testament uh, verses refer to the second coming. More than a fourth of the Bible is predicted prophecy approximately one-third of it has yet to be fulfilled. Both the Old and New Testament are full of promises about the return of Jesus Christ. Over 1,800 references appear in the Old Testament. Listen to that. Over 1,800 references in the Old Testament refer to the second coming of Christ. Uh, and then it says, oh, out, and 17 of Old Testament books give prominence to this theme. Of the 260 chapters in the New Testament, there are more than 300 references to the Lord's return. Of the 260 chapters in the New Testament, there are 300 references to the Lord's return. One out of every 30 verses, 23 out of the 27 books in the New Testament refer to that great event. So one out of every 30 verses in the New Testament refer to the second coming of Christ. So it is a prolific subject, a prolific subject, very, very strong subject. And um, it, as I mentioned, it's been on the front and center of people's minds for a long time. There was a series of books that came out, began in 1995, called the uh, Left Behind series. And some of you have read the Left Behind series. Now, just to give you a feel for how huge this was, there were 80 million 
of those books sold, the Left Behind series books, 80 million books. And that was an incredible uh, uh, success, literary success. And people sitting on the beach, people on airplanes, reading Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins' books on Left Behind. I want to take a little survey here. How many ever have read any of the Left Behind books? Just raise your hands. Left Behind books are, were incredibly popular. They were preceded by another book called The Late Great Planet Earth by Hal Lindsey that came out in 1970 that sold about 17 million copies. So there, in America, there's been this incredible interest in the second coming of Christ. And I want to talk a little bit about that. It's, it's not just a, a fad. It's not something that, you know, people just every once in a while think about it. Uh, it is something that's rooted in Scripture, rooted in Scripture. And so how did it all begin? Well, the whole idea of the second coming of Christ started at the end of Christ's ministry on the earth. And he talked about the second coming, his second coming, while he was on the earth. And then the last thing that Christ did, he appeared, remember he appeared to his disciples for uh, 40 days. It wasn't like he resurrected from the dead and for, you know, after three days and he kind of passed by them and, you know, waved at them. But for 40 days, the book of Acts says he gave many infallible proofs that he was raised from the dead. So there's a period of 40 days, sustained period of time that Jesus, after he was raised from the dead, after he's with the disciples, showing them that he's alive. And it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he appeared to James, his brother, he appeared to uh, Peter, the apostle, and he appeared to over 500 brothers uh, that at one time that, are that many, Paul says, are still alive. Why did he say that? Why did he say many are still alive? He's saying, so you can go check out this fact, because there's people walking around in your neighborhood that saw Jesus raised from the dead. And when Paul talks about the second coming of Christ, he says the one that's been raised from the dead, the son is coming back. So the resurrection is such a convincing phenomenon in the early church. When Jesus talked about the, his second coming, it was, it was just completely embraced. Now, the last thing Jesus did before he ascended to heaven, he goes to heaven and then it says in uh, Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, this is the foundation for the second coming of Christ. And he said this, after he said this, Jesus talking to the disciples, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood be beside them and said, men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? So Jesus ascended into heaven after he was raised from the dead. The disciples, you know, are looking at him intently in the sky. It must have been something to see. And then these angels appear to them and says they were looking intently into the sky in verse 10 uh, as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside him. In verse 11, men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So the second coming of Christ will happen in the same way that Jesus went to heaven. He was, uh, he was visibly seen going into the heaven, 
going into heaven, and the angel says he will return in the same way. The second coming of Christ is not a spiritual phenomenon. For instance, like the Jehovah's Witnesses, you know, they predicted Christ was going to come at one point, and it never happened in their time frame. So they spiritualized that, and he came back spiritually. And there's many movements that predict the second coming of Christ. When they're wrong, they spiritualize it. Jesus said, or these angels said of Jesus uh, second coming, it will happen just the same way you've seen him go. You will see it physically with your eyes. So that is the, uh, that's how the foundation for the second coming of Christ took place. Now I want to look at Paul's words here because we don't have a lot of time here today, but we want to talk a little bit about this. Verse 10 of chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians, where Paul first broaches the subject of the second coming. By the way, he had, sp- he had taught them about the second coming when he was with them. So when Paul was planning this church and he's preaching the gospel, part of his teaching, remember this is the first book in the New Testament probably, his, his teaching included the second coming of Christ. So the whole sort of like uh, mentality of the early church is that they were always waiting for Jesus to come, waiting for Jesus to come. And Paul says uh, to them, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. So the first thing we're going to talk about is waiting, is waiting. Uh, Paul said, Paul's affirming them. He's affirming them that they are waiting for the second coming of Christ. That's a good thing. They're thinking about it. Maybe this week you went through your whole week and you didn't think one time about the second coming of Christ. And I have to admit, there's some weeks I go through is I never even think about that. As I was a kid growing up, I thought about it all the time. Every time I couldn't find my sister, you know, or, or you know, some, some little kids, I thought the Lord had taken place, I'd been left, you know. But, uh, but Paul affirms them that they're waiting with expectation for the Lord to come. And the position of believers is that we wait in anticipation and excitement for the Lord to come. We, we, we want him to come. We long for him to come. When I was a kid, I remember uh, my dad, when he was, worked at DuPont's and one Christmas Eve, you know, we were waiting for my dad to come home and we couldn't open presents or have any Christmas festivities until he got home. I remember standing in the, uh, looking at the, out of the window of my dad, mom and dad's bedroom uh, where I could see the road where my dad was coming home from work and I watched every car coming toward the house hoping it was my dad because I couldn't wait. I was filled with anticipation because I wanted my dad to come home so we could have this wonderful celebration with our family. And Paul is saying that, he's saying it's a good thing that you're waiting for the second coming of the Lord. Now, what are we waiting for? Well, I was talking to a guy the other day that you know, was a school teacher that taught my sons when they were in high school and I ran into him and I said, are you still working? He said, no, I'm gonna retire this year. I can't wait to retire. And, uh, and I said, are you going to be nostalgic? You've been, you've been teaching since you're, you know, you've been teaching for 45 years. And he said, I'm not going to be one big nostalgic. I teach that last class. I'm out of there. And a lot of us are looking forward to retirement. Or some people are looking forward to retirement. I got a lot of friends that their, their philosophy is I'm going to die soon. So we're going to have fun now. That's where my friends are. And a lot of us are, we're that way. We're just like, we're looking forward you know, to the, the lake house or whatever, and all that's fine to do some of that. 
But the early church was not in that mindset. They weren't waiting for retirement. They weren't waiting to, you know, to just float down the river in a, in a, in a lazy river. They had this anticipation. They were telling people about Jesus. They were planting churches, and they were excited. Their life was filled with adventure, and they were waiting for Jesus to come. Jimmy Carter said the president, was our 39th president? Jimmy Carter, and this is not a political statement, Jimmy Carter, you know, who teaches Sunday school, I think he's still teaching Sunday school, he's in his 90s and teaches Sunday school in Plains, Georgia, he said we should live every day as if Jesus is coming this afternoon. And the early church had this anticipation where they were waiting for the Lord to come. They weren't just waiting for retirement. They were waiting for the Lord to come. And we need to awaken our generation. People, those of you that are baby boomers, those of you that are my age, those of you that are, you know, in this season of life, listen, we need to get our hearts turned toward heaven, not just toward having a good time. Nothing wrong with having a good time. I'm all about having a good time. But the early church was waiting for what's called the parousia, the coming of Jesus. And they were waiting with anticipation. And uh, so it's not like when it says they were waiting, it means that they were waiting with a spirit of expectation. And so Paul affirmed that they were waiting. It was a good thing for them to be waiting. Now herein lies the problem. Herein lies the problem for people that are skeptics. They say waiting is the problem because we've been waiting so long for Jesus to come that people like Bernard Russell, the uh, British uh, skeptic and atheist that said he didn't even believe in the New Testament, didn't believe in God, became an atheist because of the second coming of Christ that never took place. So sometimes we're thinking, well, the waiting is the problem. We've been waiting so long and Christ hasn't come. And maybe that's why we don't think about the second coming of Christ as much as we used to, even though it's heavily emphasized in the New Testament, even though the early church consistently thought about it. But the waiting, I'll just say this about the waiting. And here's what I believe. The bigger the event in God's plan, the longer the runway. The bigger the event in God's redemptive plan the longer the runway now there's been two predictions of Jesus coming the first prediction was in the old testament that Jesus was coming the first time now there's prophecies in the old testament I think there's like 80 some prophecies in the old testament about Jesus coming Psalm 22 specifically spells out what's going to happen to Jesus on the cross and how they're going to pull his beard out and all the things going to happen and Psalm or Isaiah 53 predicts there's all these predictions in the old testament about Jesus coming the first time. The first one's found in Genesis 3.15 that, uh, that God will create enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent and the, and, the, and the seed of the woman will crush the serpent's head. That's called the proto-evangel. And that was written in the first three, it was in, within the third chapter of the, of, of the Bible. So there were 4,000 years building up to the first coming of Jesus. And there's people waiting, is the Messiah ever going to come? The Pharisees are waiting, is the Messiah ever going to come? And they're waiting and they're waiting. And there were people that became skeptical about the Messiah coming. And finally, Jesus came. So the longer the runway, it indicates the bigger the event. 
Now, I'm not saying that it's going to be 4,000 years before Jesus comes, but I will say this. I will say that it's been 2,000 years since Jesus came, and it makes perfect sense that there's this, there's this span of time before there's a big uh, event like that taking place. So big events require a longer runway. The bigger the airplane, the longer the runway has to be in order to land. The second reason that the, the waiting is, what I would say about the waiting, is the waiting indicates God's mercy. If God was not merciful, he would have had him, his son come in that first century. But God is merciful to people. Do you know that when the ark was built, Noah's ark in the uh, Genesis chapter 7, that they built the ark, took 120 years, Noah's preaching for 120 years to that generation, telling them about the, the ark, telling them that the judgment's coming? For 120 years, he's preaching. The book of 2 Peter says that he was a preacher of righteousness. And he preached for 120 years. And then the ark is done. I'm, I'm sure glad Noah, I'm sure Noah was glad when he took off his nail pouch and laid it down that that ark was finally done. And then it says Noah and his family went into the ark and they sat in the ark for seven days. Seven days and the flood didn't come. Now, do you think that maybe sometime during that time that Noah thought, boy, boy, this could be a big mistake. This could be really bad. How am I going to sell this boat? <laughs> but he waited seven days. And then it says, God shut him in. God shut the door. And so when you think about the second coming of Christ taking so long, Peter says, in the last days, and I could turn you to the scriptures. I got all these scriptures written down. I'll meet you in the lobby and go through them all. You know, if you want to just go through them. Peter said, he said, men have scoffed about the second coming of Christ. They said, and even in Peter's day, before the end of the first century, people are saying, where's his coming? Where's his coming? He said he was going to come and people will scoff. And then Peter said, well, the reason he hasn't come is because of his great mercy. God is not willing. It's in that passage. He says, God is not willing that any should perish, but all should become repentance. And the door is open for salvation right now. The door is open and you're in a period and I'm in a period of grace. But the Bible says there comes a time when that grace ends, when that door is shut. Noah didn't sit in that ark for for 100 years, he sat in there for seven days after he'd been preaching for 120 years. And then it says, God shut the door. And then two things happened at that time. There was the flood happening. You've got judgment and rescue happening at the same time. Now that brings me to the next point that we have here. When it talks about the second coming of Christ, and I could say a lot more about the waiting thing, but uh, when it says... And verse 10, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Now, that's not Old Testament, that's New Testament. People say, the Old Testament, God is this big vengeful God. New Testament, God is a God of love. He's got a mercy. And there was a guy named in church history called Marcion in the first century that said, you know, we're going to get rid of all the Old Testament. None of that's good because that's a bad God, a mean God. And we're just going to have certain scriptures that talk about grace. Let me tell you something. 
God is a God of love and God is a God of righteousness. There, there is no, there is not like one of them is right and the other's wrong. Both of those things are true. God is righteous and because he's righteous, he will judge. God is loving and because he's loving, we have an avenue in which we can receive forgiveness. Which is stronger, God's love or God's righteousness? If you've got an airplane, which is stronger, which is bigger, the, ring, the wing on the left or the wing on the right? Those wings are equal. God's judgment and his wrath are absolutely true, just as his love is. We're absolutely wrong in our generation. We're absolutely wrong. Our theology is wrong. You know, uh, please forgive me. You know, all of our, my, my young colleagues that I try to influence and the guys that I'm you know, mentoring at our church and, and all that, all these young guys with skinny jeans and a microphone and just listening to podcasts and not really studying the Bible and just preaching about the love of God, the love of God, the love of God, that is not the gospel. The gospel is, is that God is a God of justice and wrath and we can't really appreciate the gospel until we know the bad news. Paul said, you are being rescued from the coming wrath. When Jesus comes again, when Jesus comes again, it's good news, bad news. Revelation chapter 6 says this, when Jesus comes again, there'll be people crying out for the mountains and the rocks to fall on them, to hide them from the face of the Lamb. So when Christ comes again in all of his glory, People that don't know Christ are going to be crying out, hide us from the face of the Lamb. It's not like Jesus coming from heaven, hey, dude, I'm okay, you okay, let's all have a good party. It's not that. That's not the gospel. That's not the New Testament. The New Testament says, Paul said to those Thessalonians, he says to them, he said, the Lord who rescues us from the coming wrath. Now, when you think about wrath, I want you to think about this. Wrath is not abusive, anger, temper. You know, maybe you were in an abusive relationship with your parents or your boyfriend or your husband and mean, abusive. That is not the wrath of the New Testament. The wrath is a settled justice and judgment against ungodliness. So I want you to, to get this in your heart. The judgment of God is just as true as the love of God. And it says in Psalm 89, that truth and mercy have kissed each other. Truth and mercy have kissed each other. Where do you get, listen to this, where do you get the perfect intersection and history of judgment and love at the same time? Where is the perfect intersection of love and righteousness and judgment. Where does judgment and love come together perfectly in history? It comes together perfectly at the cross. It's the expression of God's love and it's the expression of God's judgment at the same time. So if you don't receive Christ, if you don't accept Christ, there is no hope for you. There's no reformation for you. There's no reformation for me. I cannot be saved without the cross. The cross where Jesus took the wrath 
of God, the justice of God for me. And if I don't embrace Jesus, that wrath is coming on me. And it says, Paul says to them, the Lord is coming back and he has rescued us from the coming wrath. So we were having a little staff party not too long ago at uh, Trap Pond. We all went out there and we did a bike ride and and we had a you know good time, played some games, and we had some devotions and things. It was really a couple weeks ago. Jody Monroe comes up to me. Jody is like, you know, Jody's got this thing about arm wrestling. <laughs> and you, I wrestled, arm wrestled on stage one day. And, uh, you know, I, I, I prevailed. And, uh, but, you know, I know, should I beat a you know, woman? That's not right. I mean, all that. And, People gave me a hard time about that. But Jody said, hey, I want a rematch. And staff standing around. And, you know, I, I got down there and I had my arm there with Jody. And she said, look, a flamingo. Then she took off, you know. <laughs> I'm telling you what. Jody's been cutting down redwood trees. I'm telling you, they're seriously, I couldn't believe it. I held on as long as I could. All the men are like, whoa, looking out the window, you know. And she whipped me, so we're one and one, so I'm working out. I'm doing like one-handed push-ups at night, you know. But on that day, there was something uneven. One arm stronger than the other. The gospel is the righteousness of God and the love of God are equal in strength. And the wrath of God, the justice of God, Paul said, wait for the sun, we're waiting for the sun from heaven who rescues us from the coming wrath. The word rescue there is the word to mean to save from danger, save from danger. And you know where else that, that word is used? It's a roemai, ro I think is the Greek word. And you know where else that word is used? Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath. Do you know where else that's used? It's the very same exact word when Jesus was on the cross. And they said to him, the scoffers at the foot of the cross says, why don't you rescue yourself and come down from the cross? Very same word. If Jesus had rescued himself and come down from the cross, you could not be rescued. And it says that Paul, Paul said, he who rescues us from the coming wrath. People that are getting baptized today, and by the way, if you haven't been baptized, you should get baptized today. I mean, honestly, if I were you, I wouldn't wait Five minutes to get right with the Lord. I mean, I would get right with the Lord today. I would like come to Jesus today. I'd run to that baptism pool. I want to be a part of the company of God's people. When Jesus comes back, I want to be ready to meet him. And I want to be clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. And I want to be like Jesus because it says that Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath. There's only, there's only one way. It's only, there's only, if, you had, if you want me to take some time right now, 
I got like 20 verses listed right here to talk about the wrath of God. In chapter 3 of uh, John 3, where we got the wonderful verse, For God so the world, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, shall not perish, but receive everlasting life. For God so loved the world. How many love that part? For God so loved the world. I love that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Here's the condition. That whoever believes in him, whoever, pistuo, puts their faith and confidence in him, will not perish. If you don't believe, you will perish. The word perish means to be utterly destroyed. I'm not a universalist. I'm not a person that believes at the end that Christ died for everybody. And if you confess the Lord and confessed him and believed in him, good. If you didn't, no problem. He's got everybody covered. There's a condition in the gospel that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And we have to pull the trigger. We are responsible to respond to Christ. And then the last part. I got a whole bunch of stuff. I'm just out of time. But the last part is the, the comfort and encouragement. The reason he's writing to them in 1 Corinthians 4, where he says, you know, you know, those that have died, you know, we don't have an advantage over them. Their question was: the Thessalonians were saying, listen, people have died and they've been waiting for Jesus to come, so they missed the whole thing. And that was the big issue. And Paul said, they haven't missed the whole thing. Because when they come back, when the Lord comes back, they will be called up together to meet the Lord in the air. Now, he's using a, a, he's using a story here. Now, I'm, I'm going to rattle your theology. I don't have time to rattle your whole theology about this. Uh, one thing, I don't believe there's two more comings. I believe there's one more coming. I think he's coming one time. And at, this, at that time when he comes, I believe there's rescue and there's, deliver, there's judgment at the same time. I was raised on the yo-yo theory, and that's what Tim LaHaye puts in there, the yo-yo theories. He's coming. There's going to be a rapture. There's going to be a tribulation. Then he's going to come at the end. There's two more comings. Now, if you believe that, that is no big deal. That's fine. You could be right. I just don't believe that. I don't see it in this passage. I don't see it in a lot of passages. I think he's coming one more time, and he's going to be cleanup day. And all the junk we see in this world, all the political junk and all the immoral junk, and all the violence in our schools and hospitals, all the injustices on this planet, the Bible says he's coming with a, with a rod in his hand, a rod of iron, and he will rule with justice. And this messed up system that nobody can fix, that no politician can fix, that no king or queen can fix, the Lord will come in all of his glory and he'll bring righteousness on this planet. And we're not gonna go up to the Lord to get away from the world. The Bible says in, in Revelation chapter 21 that the new Jerusalem is coming down to the earth. God's people are gonna come down to the earth with the Lord and we're we're going to rule on this planet with the Lord and it's going to become a new creation. Because Paul's using a, an image here. The image is in the Roman Empire that when a Roman general will go off to war, he would go off and he would have victory in war and then he would come back to Rome with his, with his army and all the spoils of war and he would wait outside the city and he would send a messenger into the city to say, we are back. And they would blow a trumpet in the town and they would build an arch and then anybody in the city 
anybody in the city that wanted to go out with the army to march into the city, they would go out to the army with them and they would march into the city with the conquering army. And when the Lord comes back, he's not taking us and putting us in some like cosmic closet somewhere. We're going to go up to be with him and we're not going out in space. We're coming back down to reign on this earth because he's going to create a new creation on this planet. It's going to be incredible. He's going to bring justice to this messed up world. And it's a comforting word, a comforting thing. Paul said, encourage and comfort each other with these words. You've got a loved one that died. You've got your mother who died, your, your spouse who died, your child who died, someone that you love dearly that's died and knew the Lord. That's not the end of the story. They're going to come with the Lord. And we're going to be ever together with the Lord and we're going to reign in righteousness on this planet. I was watching This Is Us. I mean, I love This Is Us. It's one of my favorite shows. How many people out there, you watch This Is Us? 16 million people watch the final episode. I cried through all the last three episodes. I cried. I didn't want to cry. I said, don't cry. You're a man, Danny. Don't cry. I'm crying like a baby. I'm slinging snot everywhere. It's just, and when Miguel died, it was too much for me. But that last episode when Rebecca Pearson's dying, and she's in such a, it was such a uh, poignant moment for me because my mom died of Alzheimer's. And I'm like, whoo, I'm crying. She's walking through that train and she sees William, you know, the father of uh, Randall. And he's died and he's seeing her in her passing. And they're walking through the train and then she sees Miguel and then she sees her kids at different stages of their life. And boy, it makes you think, you got to spend more time with your kids, more time with your grandkids. I'm like, man, I'm, well, I'm going to go hang out with my grandkids tomorrow. And then she finally gets to the caboose. And if you haven't seen it, I'm ruining it for you. I, I get that. But you should have watched it by now. I'm telling you. <laughs> That's your problem, not my problem. I mean, how can you wait on that one? It's just so good. I've watched the last two episodes three times. I mean, I watched them over and over again. They just touched my heart. But Rebecca gets to the caboose. And she's in the, laying there with Jack, her deceased husband. And she says, it's so sad. And he said, you'll always be with them. And he's referring to their memories. And then they has these flashbacks of the kids doing different things with their kids. You'll always be with them. And she said, it's, she said, it's so, so sad. And then I guess that's it. You end up in a caboose. You end up in a caboose with your deceased husband and your kids mem mem remember you. I love This Is Us, but I need more than that. I need more than that. And the Bible gives you more than that. As much as I love Karen, we're not going to be in a caboose for eternity laying in a, on silk sheets. It's not, there's more to it than that. Paul said, comfort each other with these words. You will be with the Lord forever people that know Christ will form that body of people coming out to the Roman army to join up with the victorious Lord and they'll come back to reign on this earth with the Lord the Bible has linear history we, we, we are being influenced by the eastern world 
the Eastern world of history is cyclical. Everything goes around, just cycles around and around and around. But the Bible teaches linear history. That everything is coming to a grand conclusion. And the Lord is at the head of that grand conclusion. Paul said, you're waiting for the sun from heaven, way to go. Waiting for the sun from heaven, anticipating him to come, who rescues you, rescues you from the coming wrath. And he'll come from heaven with a sound, with a voice of, the, of a loud shout and the voice of the archangel and the trumpet blast and those that have already passed on will not proceed. That's what they, when I was in Bible college, Bill Burl Bagwell says uh, the word, you know, that, that we will not have advantage over people that have died, but they that know the Lord that have died will be called up before us and will be with the Lord Forever. Forever. That's why, you know why people, and I'm way off my time, I'm like, I'm, this is it. I've got to stop right after this. You know why we have generations of people that are committing suicide while people are, 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 are giving their lives up in, in their 20s and overdosing on drugs? It's because we have a philosophy in this country that stinks. And it tells us that, listen, it's just sickle. Nothing's going to happen. You're going to die in a caboose and that's the end of it. Well, gosh, I'd want to jump in front of a car myself. But that's not the truth. The kingdom of God is bigger than that. And you are called to be people of hope. And your kids are called to be people of hope because there is a God who reigns over this universe and will one day step into this messy world and bring righteousness and restoration to this planet. Well, we're going to get ready to receive baptism this morning. But before we do that, the Holy Spirit, I don't usually preach like this. It's not even my style. The Holy Spirit anointed me this morning to talk to some people here that you are under God's judgment right now. You don't know Christ. You haven't received Christ. And you need to receive him. Because there's only, that's the only option for you. And he loves you. He wants to fill your life with joy and peace. And you can be baptized this morning. You can join these people right over here and go public with your faith. Say, I heard the gospel today and I am in, I'm all in, I'm receiving Jesus. I'm burying my old life and I'm going to receive the Lord. And if you would like to do that, just bow your heads a moment. And as the Holy Spirit speaks to people this morning, if you're here and you are without Christ and you don't know the Lord and you're, you're waiting the end of history, ill-prepared, I want you to just flip your hand up and say, Pastor Danny, would you pray for me right now? Pray for me. I need to be prayed for because I've not been really following Jesus like I need to. Just lift your hand up high without any shame. Just lift it up there. Thank you. Say, Lord, I want to receive you as my Lord. Just lift your hand up if you want to receive the Lord. And as we pray right now, let's pray this out loud together. This is how you receive the Lord. You receive the Lord by his grace and his mercy as you put your faith in Jesus. Let's all pray this out loud together. Collectively, let's pray this out loud together. Would you pray it with me? Lord Jesus, I'm a lost person. 
I have sinned since my birth. I have a fallen sin nature. I'm rebellious against you. Everything I've tried in life, all the idols, all the things I've looked to have not satisfied me. But today, Lord, I receive you as my Lord and my Savior. I put my faith in you. And say this really out loud, definitively. I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross to forgive me of my sins and to cleanse me of all unrighteousness. I receive you as my Lord and I commit my life to follow you in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for joining us on the Bayshore Podcast. I want to encourage you to take this message you just received and allow it to go deep into your soul and let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. A special thanks to everyone that gives generously to Bayshore. It's because of you that this ministry is possible, creating life change all over the world. You can be a part of spreading the message around the world by going to bayshore.online and clicking give. For all things Bayshore, visit bayshore.online to find out what your next step may be. You can subscribe right here and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thank you again for listening. God bless you.